Welcome to our guest segment. Uh, for those of us, uh, those of you just joining us, I'm holding the book up here on the video stream. It is called Victim F. It is the most unbelievable true crime story that I have ever heard. I imagine probably that any of you have ever heard. And uh, uh, Nicole Wisency Egan is with us. You remember her from her recent visit about her book, Chasing Cosby. She's been with us twice before to talk about that book. And she's the co-author of this book. And uh, Nikki, good to have you back with us. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. You're going to hate me because I'm going to make a confession. When I started reading this story, and listening to the podcast, um, you, you know, the, uh, the the true crime podcast discussing this in the beginning, I was like, no, no, these people are liars. This this is this can't be true. And I felt so horrible when I found out that this was all really true. But that was my initial reaction is that's why I don't I'm not as upset as Jim Clemente <laughs> was on his podcast about this. He's dropping the F-bomb and he's a former FBI guy. He's all in for all the law enforcement people. But he was just unhinged. And I get his perspective on it. But I also know, like, if you're a police officer and somebody comes in with this story, this just sounds like a story. So I'm just going to tell you that right up front and get your reaction. Um, did you have that feeling at all at the, in the beginning of this? Yeah, well, but, you know, I came into it from a different place. But also, I mean, the other side of that is if you are going to do something like kill your girlfriend or do a hoax, why would you make up something so unbelievable? Right. Why wouldn't you make up something more like, oh, I don't know, she was here like Drew Peterson with yeah. Like third or fourth wife. No, his fourth wife. He just said, oh, she ran off with some guy. I don't know what happened to her. You know, you wouldn't come up with these people broke in in the middle of the night, you know, and, and uh, with the searchlights and, the, you know, everything else that happened in wetsuits because it's crazy. Um, but what are you supposed to do when you're the victim in that situation? You tell the truth and just hope that you get believed. There was a lot of evidence to show he was telling the truth had the police been looking for it. Um, you know, one of the first things a cop did when he comes in is he always he Aaron had told him that the kidnappers were recording him through this video camera they had installed up in the corner of his living room and it was making this awful beeping sound that was driving him crazy so the cop goes right over and he unplugs it <laughs> yeah, that's the, tape that's the part of it the parameters there was this the zip ties. There yeah. was, you know, there was so You're right. much evidence there. That is the there part of it. To show he was yeah. telling the truth. That, that is the part of it where I started, like, getting on board with Jim Clemente because I was like, okay, this is a lot of crazy talk, but there was the camera. There were the zip ties. So they're finding that what he said, there's, there's actually evidence of it. And then 
the, the phone, the, the, the emails, there are emails making demands. And then somebody turns off the guy's phone, which is the only line of communication between the kidnappers and the family uh, is the phone. And they put his phone on airport, uh, an airplane mode so that no calls could come in. Um, it, it got it. There was a point at which I'm all on board that these law enforcement people are just tunnel vision, tunnel vision, tunnel vision. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, they actually read, uh, at least looked at the emails that the kidnappers were sending and um, just didn't, you know, I don't know if we read them, but obviously didn't believe them. And, yeah, these calls are coming in, you know, right right around the time, you know, Mustard is telling Aaron that they haven't heard from the kidnappers. They haven't heard them, but Aaron's crushed when he says this because they were going to get back in touch. So, um yeah, this case was crazy. And, you know, you, you look at someone like people like Aaron and Denise, you know, they have doctorate degrees, they're middle class, they have, you know, they, their whole life is about helping people. They they are physical therapists who don't just like help people heal. They help like people with severe neurological damage or stroke victims. I mean, the program they were both in where they worked was world renowned for the type of physical therapy they do. So why would they make up something like this? But but the point is like if it happens to someone like them and they are so grateful that they did have family and have resources to hire good lawyers to defend them, which is crazy considering they were the victims. You know, what chance does the average person in Vallejo have um, with the police if the, you know they can pull these tactics on people like them? I mean, what it just goes to show like they're probably doing the same, if not worse, to people who don't have lawyers and people who don't have sort of the wherewithal to understand. Well, the guy's brother, the guy's brother was an FBI agent. Now, if your brother, if your brother is an FBI agent and you get treated like this, can you imagine how someone would be treated that does not have such a connection as as a brother, as an FBI agent that that seemed to like not only not help him, but it almost seemed like it was held against him that he had that connection. Right. I mean, it just shows how brazen they were, too. I mean, they know his brother is an FBI agent. His, FBI, his brother was the one who told him to call the regular police because the kidnappers had told Aaron not to call the police. They were going to be monitoring his phones um, or they would kill Denise. But he he sort of quickly realized that they were not monitoring his phone. Like the camera wasn't actually it turns out they couldn't they didn't have his router password so they couldn't connect it to the internet i mean he he didn't know what was going on with that camera but it didn't seem like they were watching him based on the texts and emails he was doing with them so anyway but he, he took a chance he called his brother he's like if they for some reason are monitoring my phone if they are monitoring like they said i can tell my you know ethan was supposed to come by my house so i had to call him um so he does call you know his brother and speaks to his brother but you know his brother's just like you got to call the cops cuz you know ethan in his Sense was just, you know, kidnapping by strangers is really rare. I mean, the type of thing that happened here is rare. And he was used to handling cases where these fake kidnappings where people will find out someone's on vacation or they're in a foreign country and they'll call up the relative and say, we have them, you know, give us the money and all that. So that's what he thought this was, like a virtual or a fake kidnapping. He just couldn't conceive that Aaron or even Denise could have been involved. And in, by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to somehow become a victim. Of I'm going to we'll get into this in a little bit later in the interview, but I don't think this was just a stranger deal. I, 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 I think that one of the theories you mentioned when you were on Real Crime Profile, that 
there might be someone that know, that that is connected to this who is in the circle. Uh, and you mentioned it, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you want to mention it again tonight, but I want to ask you about it later. But I, I want to start, I've, I've probably broken every rule of interviewing just because I'm so passionate about this story. Uh, and people that want to like, if you want to get so much more about this, you can listen to Real Crime Profile, or better yet, get this book. You will not, I'm telling you, if you start reading this book, you will not be able to put this book down. So you need to pick like an all day, like a Sunday or a Saturday to get this book and start reading it because you will every page. You're going to want to know what happens next, what happens next, not only with the kidnappers, but also what's happening at the police station uh, where uh, he's being interrogated and being accused of murder at the same time as his girlfriend uh, has been kidnapped and, and is being raped and they are not doing anything to look for her. They're just using all their time, all their resources to focus only on him. Uh, but Nikki, I, I know I've broken every rule of interviewing. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell us in a thumbnail sketch. How did this tell us about the the couple and and especially about like the the break in and why that the the woman was not necessarily maybe who they were targeting at least that was one of the theories right and i would say to people actually you know read the book before if you're going to listen to real crime profile because um, as much as I respect Jim and Laura on this one, I disagree with the one of the theories they came up with that um, Denise was the intended target. I do not believe that. I, it's clear that, and uh, for whatever reason, Aaron's ex-fiance was the intended target. Um, so I would say please read the book um, and then listen to Real Crime Profile if you want. But they, their analysis, um, I didn't agree. And I told them that I didn't agree with in some parts. Um, but this case, I think, is so unusual. They almost didn't know what to make of it because. You know, I, I didn't mean that. It, I just meant Ethan, his brother, didn't couldn't believe his brother could be, in, you know, his brother's girlfriend could be kidnapped because they just, these type of things just don't happen that often. So anyway, that's why he reacted the way he did. So yeah, so Aaron and Denise were a couple. They met through work at physical therapy and they'd had some ups and downs. Because and tell Aaron us where this happened as his, well so people understand oh, the, 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 the location as well. Sure. Aaron owned a home on Mare Island, which is just which is part of Alejo, California, just outside San Francisco. And um, he and Denise uh, worked at the Kaiser Center there, which I said is like got a world renowned um, center for for rehab. And they had had they had been breaking up because Aaron wasn't quite done or over his ex-fiancee who who had lived in that same house with him so but that night they they got together and talked at Aaron's house and decided and Aaron had told Denise he was going to go he started going to therapy he'd gotten the last of his ex-fiancee's things out of their home like okay this time it's going to be different because it was different because Aaron had gone to therapy to try to figure out why he you know couldn't commit to Denise and why he still kept being drawn to his ex-fiancee but wake up at 3 a.m. to these, this voice going, wake up, this is a robbery, um, we are not here to hurt you. And they wake up and there's these white strobe lights flashing, there's these red dots on the wall behind them, like from laser sights from guns, and there's this person talking and they can tell there's other people in the room as well. And so the, the, the guy directs them, Denise has to tie up Aaron with zip ties and then he takes her to the closet, this closet off the master bedroom, and he ties her up with zip ties, and then Aaron is brought in there. So they're both in the closet together, and there are these recordings they made. Long story short, 
they end up, uh, they're there to take, it's supposed to be Aaron's ex-fiance. They were supposedly hired by someone. They end up taking, saying they're going to take Denise because they realize they've got the wrong one. Aaron and Aaron's ex-fiance has long blonde hair like Denise. So they thought Denise was her. But then they looked in Denise's purse and saw her ID and saw it wasn't. And it was just like this moment where, you know, they're like, oh, my God, maybe they'll leave now because the, the, the right person isn't here. But they, you know, regroup and decide they're going to take Denise anyway. And that's what happened. And, you know, and they're both drugged as well. And so they, they take Denise in the trunk of Aaron's car. One of them does. And then um, Aaron, they bring down one of them brings them downstairs and. Long story short, he's drugged. He, he does all everything he's supposed to do. He wakes up around 1 p.m. and decides, you know, after the drugs wear off, and that's when he makes the decision, you know, to call his brother. So they call the police, and it should have been like that's the worst part of this whole story is the, you know, the Vallejo police could have been the heroes. And, and the, the, the reason he didn't call the, their job, the reason he didn't call the police, I want to make sure people understand, is he was told his phone was being mirrored, that there was going to be uh, an app on there that if he made any calls that the kidnappers would know, and then there was the camera, and that they would kill uh, the girlfriend if he did, if he called the police. But he decided to do it anyway, and that anyway, the, the mirroring of the phone was, and neither was the camera, but he still believed maybe it was, but still decided to call the police. So, so pick it up there. Well, his brother, well, he calls his brother because he feel, it feels like if they, if they are monitoring his phone, then he'll just tell me he had to call his brother and, you know, because he was calling 911. And the reason Aaron, and Aaron hesitates there, but then, you know, he just feels like I can't trust these kidnappers. I can't trust that they'll release her. I have to call the police. It was the hardest call he'd ever made in his life, the hardest decision he ever made. But it was, you know, to try to get Denise back. And it ends up being a nightmare for him. Leave him. They hold him for 18 hours. They try to get him to confess to murdering her. Um, you know, you can actually watch Pargation video. Uh, there was a 2020 episode called Taken that aired. It's on Hulu now that aired June 4th. It's two hours and there. Some of his interrogation is in there. And you can see how horrific it was for yourself. Um, then an FBI agent comes in and they, they get him to take a lie detector test. And then they tell him he failed, which we still do not believe it's true. I mean, there was no, no one's ever showed him the paperwork. And then the affidavit for the one person that was later arrested was inconclusive. But anyway, meanwhile, Denise is taken several hours away. She's taken into this house in, in South Lake Tahoe, where the kidnapper proceeds to rape her twice and videotape it. Um, and along the way, he's telling her details about this group that he's involved in, that they you know, they're, they do kidnappings for ransom. This is their first one. Um, but, you know, they kind of bungled it because it wasn't supposed to be Denise. It was supposed to be Aaron's ex-fiance. But they decided to continue on because it would be good training. And he tells, you know, her some things. This happened Sunday night into Monday. It's sent to police, uh, you know, like early afternoon Tuesday. And to the, it's sent to the local newspaper, too, I believe. Sorry, I'm, some of the details escape me. But anyway, it, and it's Denise. And so, um, and then the police, like their whole attitude changes because, of course, Denise is alive now. And they proceed, Detective Mustard and them, to proceed to tell her mother when she flies up there to hear this proof of life they wanted her to hear that, you know, they don't, they, they start asking if she's ever seen the movie Gone Girl. And it becomes this whole crazy thing. And then she, Denise is released um, after 48 hours, like they said, but they take her back to where her, um, where she's from in Huntington Beach near L.A. because 
they saw all of the media coverage and could see they couldn't take her to Vallejo because it was just there was too much media, there was too much police, there was too much everything. So um, Denise is released and then she quickly finds out, you know, that she's a suspect. She's not considered a victim. She's a suspect. She has to get a lawyer. <laughs> so, and while she's so she's a suspect plane, of, of back to Stanford. She's a suspect of, of of a hoax. Is that what they're saying? So so of a hoax. right. Yeah, so so they accuse the they, they accuse they the boyfriend of murdering her. And then when that runs dry because she's still alive now, uh oh. Now it's got to be that this is a hoax. And you guys work together, uh, n- never thinking. Well, maybe this really did happen. The next step is, and they even held a press conference that I listened to, uh, where they they yeah. accused publicly of this all being fake. Yeah, and they actually put out in a press release. They call it an orchestrated event, you know. So while Denise is boarding a plane to get back to San Francisco to try to convince this lawyer to represent her, the police are holding this press conference and calling the whole thing a hoax. And what they later found out that we were able to get in the book is just prior to that press conference, the, the chief of police in Vallejo told Kenny Park, who held the press. I mean, it's just it's I, I mean. It's a crazy, crazy story. And still, like, the worst thing, too, is at this press conference, no reporters are even questioning Kenny Park, like saying, why would, you know, why would they make this up? It's just like, ha, 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 make no. And it was, it's just. Yeah, the media are such, the media are such sheep that there would be, you would think there would be even one or two local members of the media that would, would question uh, this, but I guess it's just this this social media because people do things like this. People to get attention now uh, these days will do things like this. They'll do crazy things to get attention. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. And it is fair to say that uh, you know if if someone does go missing, like if my wife goes missing, they're probably going to look at me, and that that's just because the statistics. Right. Uh, say that at least in the beginning, they're going to look at the boyfriend, no doubt. But it seemed like they just they just could not accept any other scenario. It was the most unbelievable tunnel vision. And even the FBI, which is trained to look at. I mean, the FBI, one of their main things is dealing with kidnappings. That's when they're brought in is kidnappings. This is not how you handle a kidnapping case to just automatically uh, look at only the boyfriend and consider it to be murder. Uh, I just I, I I was just disappointed that there was seemed like there was nobody in all of those uh, law enforcement professionals willing to look at any other possibility. Even like you said, when the zip ties were there, when the camera was found, when the emails were were found, it's like this guy must be Alfred Hitchcock to be coming up with this story and then planting yeah. all of this corroborating evidence in his house and be emailing himself and texting himself and all of this. It's just it's. I've never heard of such a story, uh, but tell us and why. Yeah, it, what was your and, and why? What possible motive? I mean, he made a good sale. I mean, what possible motive? They are just so far from the type of people that would do something like this. That it, it's what's so extraordinary. No criminal record. No criminal record. They have a PhDs in physical doctors. therapy, yes. uh, and these no, are upstanding, doctorate, upstanding uh, members of their community. Uh, you know, medical professionals, no criminal history, but yet they're accused of murder and then accused of the hoax. Do you have a theory why the police couldn't back down and look at other options? What happened? I mean, that not even one of them seemed to want to look at any other possibilities. They're terrible at their job. (laughs) 
they're just like this. This book I always tell people is a, is an example of the best in police work and the worst in police work because the worst in police work was Vallejo and the FBI. And of course, the FBI agent who assigned to the case had a conflict of interest because he used to date Aaron's ex fiance, who was the intended target oh my of goodness. the kidnapping. Wow! And he did not disclose that. And he stayed on the case. And when that became an issue later, he says, well, I told the U.S. attorney that I had dated her. Well, no, you tell, you're supposed to tell your supervisor. And you're, that's why Jim was getting sent out, too. And you're supposed to recuse yourself. Right, right. Because actually you should be a suspect. <laughs> because anyone who was in, that, who was in his ex-fiance's life should have been looked at. Yeah. Um, and, and apparently her, her first husband, they didn't even bother to talk to him because one of the um, – news reporters that night actually tracked him down and they weren't even trying to talk to him like and wouldn't you think that they would be trying to figure out who would want to kidnap this woman who was the intended target but no they're just so convinced that Aaron's lying and she's been murdered that they just they just didn't do anything and the FBI's behavior I really don't understand except for like I don't know maybe there's more going on there than we know about um because how could you? I hope you, you stay on this on that investigation. I hope you keep going on this because I'm telling you, I've got a good sense for this kind of thing, and I I don't think we know the rest of this. I I I I understand. I mean, I read the book and I've listened to the podcasts about this. I think there's another shoe to drop. I I really think there's a lot more here, and I think you're the right person to keep. I hope you're going to keep. Uh, digging on this, but I want to ask you about the the police officer who was, if I understand it right, a police officer thrown off the force, who's now married to the ex fiance, and there was some suspicious things about him that you had mentioned. Tell us about that. Well, he was the one that Aaron's ex fiance was cheating on Aaron with, and that's why Aaron, she and Aaron broke up. And that had just happened when Aaron met Denise. That's why he was so conflicted. Like, they were still living in the same house, but had been split up for a couple months because he found out she was cheating on him. But they weren't quite done yet. I mean, those feelings don't just go away. And then he met Denise and started falling for her, and he started getting very confused. And, you know, so there was a lot of lot of stuff going on at the same time. And he said over and over to me, he said it to other people, if I had met, if I had met Denise a year after my ex and I broke up, I wouldn't have been conflicted at all. I mean, Denise is the woman I wanted. She's everything I wanted. But it was just he was still dealing with the aftermath of this betrayal. But anyway, so now she's married to this guy. She's married to this cop, and she has a child with him. He's no longer a police and, um, officer, though, right? No. And why no, is that? Why is that? Okay, why so is he one, no longer? Uh, supposedly, it had something. There was an internal affairs investigation about inappropriate use of um, databases to look up women he wanted to date or was dating or something. So, you know, he also made a lot of joking remarks, made some joking remarks on Instagram about being kidnapped and everything. And then you'll see there's an, and there's an exchange Aaron has with his ex fiance because they still work together after all this happened. And he just wants to get some answers from her. And she's just not the least bit bothered that, that Denise got raped and kidnapped in her, in her, in place of her. There's no empathy for Denise. There's no anything, you know, trying to understand why that happened. It, it's it's just the behavior is very unusual. And only one guy's been arrested. And Aaron Denise, no, there were two other people. But um, and this is where I'll get to the hero cop part. But um, and he says, and he said in a court filing he filed like a year and a half ago, he speculated that the cop hired 
these guys, Mueller and these guys, to do this to scare Aaron's ex-fiance into his arms to be sure that he was the one she came to. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying he put it in court papers, so I feel comfortable at least saying that because it makes as much sense as anything else in this crazy case. But the thing is, like, as much as this is about bad policing, um, Misty Carasu, who was um, a Dublin police uh, police officer in um, Dublin, California, responded to another home evasion three months after Aaron and Denise's. Um, anyway, long story short, she ends up, Moeller, one of the, their attackers, tries to break into another couple's home three months later, leaves his cell phone, but the husband fights back, and they get in an exchange, and then he leaves his cell phone there, and they track him eventually to the South Lake Tahoe house, and it turns out that's where he had been holding Denise. And um, Misty's sent there just for a search warrant because... Uh, for her case, which is this other home invasion, but she's, when she starts going through a car that Mueller was driving, she sees blacked out swim goggles because that's what the kidnappers had Aaron and Denise wear too, and there's a long blonde hair hanging from it. And she just had such a creepy feeling when she went in that house where Mueller was. She just had a really creepy feeling with some of the things she saw in there and everything, that there was just something had happened there. And so she couldn't get that long blonde hair out of her head because no one in her case had long blonde hair. And so she just did a search on his name, and she found out he was a person of interest in some similar crimes in the area. And when she tracked down the owner of the car that she had found a lot of the evidence in Aaron and Denise's case, as well as her Dublin case, um, the owner of that car lived on Mare Island. And he told them, you know, that he that was his car. And he told her about, the, you know, the Denise that Denise had been kidnapped and how the Vallejo police had called the whole thing a hoax. And she, Misty just couldn't believe it. But she just kept going and going. Her case was done. She didn't have to do any more work on it. But she just couldn't stop and because she just knew there was another victim out there. And when she saw the way the police had treated Aaron and Denise, you know, she was horrified. So she ends up calling, the Vallejo won't call her back. She reaches Sesma, ironically, um, about her case. And they end up taking all the evidence. And then they end up using that to arrest Moeller. But then they say, oh, he acted alone. And Aaron and Denise know there were other people there. So it's just been one thing after another. Yes, at least he's off the streets. That's great. But there's still others out there. Now, tell um, us. Uh, is a true hero. Yeah. Tell us about this Mueller character. I understand he was a disbarred lawyer. And even at his house, they found the laptop of of uh, the boyfriend who is a victim in, in the victim F story. Is that right? So they made like an absolute connection there. But he was not charged with rape, only charged with uh, kidnapping in the victim F case. Is yeah, that right? Well, yeah, the laptop they found had the his rapes of Denise on there is my understanding. Okay. Um, but yeah, well, there's no federal rape charges except if it's like on a military base or at a federal courthouse so there's no federal which is and it's in and of itself kind of but they could have had he could have been charged in california for the rape uh, or or well, nevada no, so right that's what happened yeah. so he was charged just with denise's kidnapping he pled he pled guilty to that um and sentenced to like 40 years wow. i think and denise and aaron were very concerned good, because good. they're like that means he gets out at 70 hmm. he's a predator he's going to do this again and so they really had to fight to get him charged and get state charges filed against him and also because that way he's also charged with denise's rapes and yes. also what was done to aaron yes. but the larger issue was was truly that they just do not want him to see the light of day ever because he will do this again 
So that case is still pending um, that, you know, Mueller had some competency issues that are being straightened out. But that that trial still has to happen. You know, God forbid they've got to actually go through that, too. But they they'll they're willing to do it just because they want to make sure he stays behind bars. How much how many of these how many cases do they think? This Mueller, uh, this disbarred lawyer uh, character, who, by the way, there's a lot more about him in the book. He's he's like a, a, a sociopath type of person from what what I've read. Uh, it, what is the odds of uh, how many I mean, how many more cases is it likely he was involved in? Um, well, the only ones they know, there were three, I think, three similar ones um, from 2009 uh, in the San Francisco area, and he actually he went to Harvard Law School. So I don't know that anyone ever actually looked in the Boston area to see if there were cases there, because he also, Misty found out from her investigation, was suspected as being, they called him the Mare Island Creeper. It was like a peeping Tom that mm. was doing things like the summer before this happened. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the neighbors had even tracked him to a house on that island, and the police did nothing. Wow. So he definitely, he had two things going on, because the other bizarre that thing that truly was bizarre about this is after the police hold this whole news conference, and Denise is called, you know, calling the whole thing a hoax, and Denise is called the real-life gone girl. The kidnappers write this long, like, one of them was, I don't know, 9,000 words um, email they send to the lo this local reporter where they basically say, hey, wait a second, no, they didn't do this crime, we did it. And he, they gave him all this proof. They gave him pictures of the room where she was held. They gave him these detailed descriptions where this Ocean's Eleven gentleman-type criminals, you know, they started out doing car thefts and they weren't making enough money. So then they that is incredible. Why would they? Another gang. Why would they want to bring attention to themselves? That that part of the book, I I just right. I mean, why would you? If you're the if you did this and you want to get away with it, let the police think it was all a hoax. Don't open your mouth. There's something just bizarre about that. I've never heard of something like that before. Right, right. And that's when in Real Crime Profile, they were sort of discounting that, Jim and Laura. I'm like, no, but you can. I mean, there's a psychology there that's yeah. really fascinating. It does not happen. You know, but the, but the stupid reporter that got the email, he's just thinking, you know, the police just think, oh, Aaron and Denise, once again, they're, they're these technological whiz kids, which is really funny because they both had like old iPhone 4s, you know, old laptops. <laughs> they're not yeah. techno, you know technological wizards that they were timing these emails to be sent later, you know, and they figured they wrote them. And at one point they even accused Denise's lawyer or an Aaron's lawyer of writing them. So because they were just still investigating Aaron and Denise, they weren't investigating the crime itself. But yeah, they they sent a series of emails over the next few days. And they said, you know, they had all these details. They said that so they started out with Carthas and they graduated, they linked up with another gang to do different, more other things with Carthas that weren't making enough money. So then they decided to do kidnapping for ransom and that they, you know, they were stayed been they had been spying on Aaron for months. I mean, his security system hadn't been working and he'd spent hours on the phone with his alarm company and they couldn't figure out why they were using drones to spy on them. They had been in his house several times, it turns out. And they said like the week before this happened, they were at the door to his master bedroom and then backed off because they were told there were too many police on the island. So 
So and then they they have they give all these details of all these crimes they committed that the police were later able to verify. And of course, at the time, though, the police said, "Oh, they he could have Aaron could have read about these on Nextdoor.com, that that blog that's very local." But no, I mean they had pictures. They had pictures of everything. I mean that they sent to them, and the police just did not believe them. Yeah, and I guess so, you know taunting the police, so taunt, taunting the police. I guess is not new, but it's it's not something that you would expect in a case like this, in particular, where it seemed like there was an easy way for them to keep their mouth shut and get away with this, to leave this as a hoax. What was the timeline? Because um, that part of it's not clear to me. From like the time of the actual kidnapping to the time that it became absolutely clear that it was true and they arrest this Mueller guy. How many months go by in that, uh, you know, time frame? Um, sure. So about three months. So this, this happened in March, late March of 2015. And then the home invasion in Dublin, California, that Misty was on was early June. And then it gets to the FBI, like around, toward the end of June, and he's charged toward the end of June, so three months later. So they have to live for three months being accused, you know, she's kidnapped and raped. Uh, He's, you know, uh, goes through all of this. He's accused of murder. Then they're both accused of a hoax. They've got to get lawyers and everything to defend themselves. Their names are dragged. They can't go back to work. Yeah, their names are dragged through the mud. Their lives are ruined. So they're victimized once by these criminals. Then they're victimized by law enforcement on top of it. Now, when all was said and done and it was proven that they weren't lying, that they were victims, um, I mean, did they get an apology? Can they sue and get their good name back? I mean, what happens next? Uh, they, I mean, I would think they could sue for, for this. Oh, they did. They did sue. Um, they were able to sue the Vallejo police for defamation. Ironically, the only reason they could sue them for defamation, because it's virtually impossible to sue the police for things like that, is because of that press conference they held. Um, so they were able to sue for defamation, and they settled out of court for $2.5 million. Good, good, um, good. And they struggled with that as well, because they really wanted, again, accountability. They wanted things to change. They didn't want this to happen to anyone else. They wanted to see them on the stand, Mustard and all of these other people. But, you know, in the end, it just didn't – they knew they were never going to admit to anything. So, I mean, what they really want to see more than an apology, which they've never really gotten, is change. Like, that department is a very troubled police department. Like some and, people getting fired? You know, Did anybody them, get fired? They know it's happened to other people. No. No. Oh, oh, the Detective Mustard, who was the one who grilled Aaron on and off for 18 hours and told him he murdered Denise, he got Officer of the Year that, that for that year. Oh, my goodness. And th- this is what you see. And you, you can't know, make it, this stuff yeah, up. It's unfortunate I mean, it's just, because there are so many good police officers out there, but you have these incompetent situations. And I know a lot of these serial killers. Uh, the people think this sounds crazy, but I know it's true because I've read a lot of books. Uh, they will go into these smaller communities and commit crimes because they know they're going to be dealing with a Barney Fife type of a situation. It's not like you're going to go and do right. this in, in New York City because then all hell will come down on you from the New York Police Department. You go into a small little town where they don't really have any experience. This is what happened with John Bonet Ramsey. Uh, they bungle that case. I mean, this is this is what smarter criminals tend to do is to go into these smaller communities. True. And I think for um, there was a 
on Netflix that unbelievable uh, series. It was just scripted, but it was a true story. And I think he, he that's one thing that guy was doing before he got caught. He was doing it in, like, different counties in the same area so they wouldn't connect the rapes. Um, but that way, I mean, sadly, though, I don't I think your chances of getting away with it in a big city are, are pretty great, too, simply because especially with sexual assaults, you know, the police don't really still take that as seriously as they should. And you've still got the rape kit backlogs and, and things like that. So and you're you're up to apt to be up against even more skepticism in a big city police department um, when it comes to stories like this. Yeah, maybe. So, but I don't know. I can't. You know, I can't. Bizarre. Can you see it's NYPD? That, but it's like, could you see NYPD? PD uh-huh. or even the Philadelphia police where you live, like doing this, dismissing, I mean, a, even after finding zip ties and the camera and the emails and, and all of this, that they would not look look uh, other than just at the guy. I mean, do you think that could happen in, in a big city? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a famous, famous to me anyway, because I was a Philly cops reporter in Philly where um this is a where the police were downgrading rapes um they were also they were telling they had rapes uh they were making them unfounded um because they just didn't believe the story was just too unbelievable like the sky was literally slipping in between he was so thin slipping in between the bars on windows and was able to get through them wow. to do these rapes and then he would give them advice on how not to become rape victims again after he did it wow. but then he slipped up and he killed a Wharton school student Shannon Sheber um and she had no clue, you know, that there was a rapist loose in her area because, or she wouldn't have, like, not had her sliding glass door locked that night, and that's how he slipped in. So that was another one, and then she was actually... This was awful, but she she was screaming because he was in her apartment. So her neighbor called the police. They actually go to the door, and he's trying to tell them to break it down, and they they won't. And the, meanwhile, the rapist is in there strangling Shannon to keep her quiet, and she dies. She's murdered. And um, he leaves. And the, at the very least, now the, the parents later sued. At the very least, she could have been alive. Um, I do believe she was still breathing when they knocked on the door. Um, but regardless of whether they could have saved her life, they could have caught him because he was still in there. Because the next morning when Shannon's brother came to see her, they were supposed to do breakfast, and she wasn't answering the door. They ended up getting in and found her dead. And, like, the sliding glass door was closed and, like... And the police, before they left, had shown a light up at her sliding glass door, and it was closed. And when the brother got there, it was a little bit ajar. So he left after the police were there. Wow, unreal. Um, and my final question. Yeah, and um, then he went on to do it one more time in Philly, and then he moved out to Colorado uh, and committed a series of ones there, and that's why he was finally caught. Wow. But he, uh, it was, it's an, it's an awful case final, awful final case. question on victim f i'm holding the book up here so what about the um what about the other people involved in this there were at least what at least two other people that were involved is this an ongoing investigation are the police believing that there are others that need to be they need to continue to find out or get this Mueller guy to tell us who the co-conspirators were. I understand he's not talking, but um, are they still trying to figure out who the others are? It sounds like he was the leader, yeah. but but there should be something still going on, right? Right, there should. But from the minute they caught Mueller, um, they told Denise and Aaron they thought he acted alone. 
And Denise, there's this whole section in the book where Denise is saying, wait, here's all the reasons I'm telling you this. They were not alone. I mean, they saw legs of other people there, too. They heard drilling of the like the camera going on while the guy's in the room talking to them. There's drilling going on downstairs. And they just said, nope, nope. He acted alone. That's it. The FBI said that's it. He acted alone. They've never found the emails on any of his devices. They found a lot of the the recordings, like the the recordings and such that he had them listen to. Um, They've never found the emails. And I'm not saying Miller Miller could have written them, but there does appear to be a lot. There's a lot of indications that it was more than one person who was contributing to that email. Um, But it's just weird that they haven't found it on all of the, you know, they got all of Mueller's electronic devices. And I just don't think Mueller's a master criminal. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I highly doubt reason. he could have done all this alone. There had to be other people, uh, no question about it. Uh, so do you continue on investigating this or or are you moving on to other projects? Right, yeah, I am working on uh, a book proposal for another project. But obviously, um, you know, if I ever found out anything new, I would continue to do stuff on this case because there are a lot of unanswered questions and you know Aaron and Denise have made their peace with that and they know that like many crime victims don't get answers to a lot of questions and so they're they're just they've they're, they've found a way to move forward but if there is a way to find out the answers to those questions I would like to know because that these accomplices they're not going to stop doing this you know, they're a danger to other people. And that's the sad thing when these cases don't get investigated, when the police focus on the wrong suspect. You know, the sad thing is, is the true criminals are out there doing it to other people. Um, so, like I said, but this is also an example of stellar policing, which was Misty Carasu. So, yeah. you know, it's great that there are officers like her out there, too. They need to like do a, a Netflix series. Did, Aaron and Denise would still be living under a cloud. Yeah, they need to do a Netflix series like featuring her. And like turn her into <laughs> the hero or something. But I admire you so much. I mean, you've had such an incredible career chasing Cosby. And now this book, I mean, you're just I mean, you're just amazing. I just I admire you so much for what you're doing. And these are the, you're you're like one of the one journalist that is just you're going after things that make a difference. It's not just about making money and and getting your name out there. I mean, these are are you are an advocate for people that are victims, and I really appreciate that. And I uh, hope that you continue on. Thank you. Oh, believe me, it's not about the money because as much as I love writing these books, you know, I'm not <laughs> or helping write them as an Aaron Denise's case. I'm not making yeah. a lot. It's just these these are the things I want to do. These are the that I want to write about cases that I'm passionate about. And yeah. Co-authoring really was great with this because you know it was their story to tell, and I liked being able to help them tell it. And you know, I don't want to just write true crime. Like I don't want to make a living off of other people's misfortunes. So, yeah. um, you know. It's a tough. I, it's, I wanted, yeah, I wanted it, to do the books that are deeper than that. And I know, I know, you know, when you get into this whole world of true crime, and you're like writing about it, which I've done myself, it starts to mess with your brain as far as like you're thinking about this all day, and it's it's yeah. a dark thing to like take on a case like this. But uh, Victim F is the title uh, of the book, from crime victims to suspects to survivors, and I know it's at the bookstores. I've seen it at our Barnes and Noble, uh, both of our locations. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen it on Amazon. It's doing very well. What's the best place people should go to order the book? 
Well, I, you know, the indie bookstores will hate me for saying this, but the best price you're going to get, honestly, is Amazon. I think Barnes & Noble actually matches it. Um, but really, you, if you want to help out your local bookstore, you can call them and you can ask them to get the book if they don't have it. Um, Aaron and Denise have a website, victimf.com, and there's links to where you can buy it. And you can also find it on my website, um, NikkiEgan.com. We have links to all the different booksellers you can buy it from. But pretty much wherever you buy books, you can get it. And if you and there's an audio book too, if you prefer audio books. Which I love the audio books. That's what I I do that when I'm riding my bike or running. So fantastic. So good to have you with us, Nikki. And uh, just stay in touch with my producer. Anything new that you do, we we want to invite you back. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. God Thanks bless. Have a great night. Wow. I know I jumped all around in that interview and I'm going to get uh, blasted by some people and I'm sorry. I just I couldn't help myself. I, I this I'm just telling you, look, you, you can't just hear what I that interview and then know this story. You got to read the book. Victim F. If you have the least bit interest in true crime, this book will absolutely blow your mind on so many levels. It is just unbelievable. It is an incredible, incredible page turner. Uh, just wow. Just wow. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I am out of breath after that. Uh, just just incredible. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.